Welcome to the Kick Pod, your weekly DNM on the stuff that matters. Hello there. Hello there. Welcome to our it's not it's our last episode for this season, but we only have two week breaks, so <laughs> we don't need to be too dramatic about it, but don't miss us too much. Just go back and listen to the old it episodes is if you miss us. Unnecessary. <laughs> it is the last episode of season three, which is crazy because we're going into the summer months. I just yeah, this year Strength. I don't know. This year has just absolutely flown. I, absolutely uh, flown. It? Yeah. Has it? How are you? I'm good. I am doing good because I feel like I have this newfound energy because Harvey's sleeping well. Yes. Um, and I'm actually going to touch on that just for a second because what we've been doing is sleep training with Harvey and I am actually going to talk about what we've been doing because ever since I mentioned that we'd done that, I'd, ha- I'd had endless DMs saying, please tell me what you're doing. Like really want your recommendation and stuff like that. And the person that I worked with um, came highly recommended and I can see why because, yeah, she's made a huge, huge impact on um, our sleep and Harvey's sleep um, and he's he's bloody killing it it's making me really proud but um, it's it was a it was a really full-on process so last week was a pretty busy week it wasn't hands-on because that's kind of like the whole like process of um, sleep training is that you they get some independence about them um, but it was hands-on in the way that we had to be like really on top of his schedule and like watching him and like really learning about his cues his sleep cues and everything because our problem was that we were kind of getting him to a point of overtiredness continuously and um, he just wasn't sleeping enough anyway learn a lot and this week it's been amazing he's been sleeping so well and I just feel like we've come leaps and bounds and as a whole family um we're all feeling a whole lot better so I yeah it was definitely the right decision for us I know it's not for everyone but for us it, it's made a huge difference so I'm feeling really energized and it's, it's really helping with my daily mood <laughs> amazing love it I'm so happy for you and just for anyone like me listening to that now I know because we talk about hubby's mm. sleep most days now but I love it though <laughs> I, I do <laughs> I do know. I mean, reasons, it's either that it. or we talk about the COVID and vaccines. Yeah. So. The vaccines. Vaccines. <laughs> <laughs> That's the one for the new variant. No, no, no. Uh, <sighs> but um, I, so for anyone that doesn't know what it is, you're, mm. you, he sleeps more. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, babies, when they get to his age as well, um, they go through a lot of development. Um, so it's very, very normal for them to wake up between their sleep cycles or to have like lighter sleep and less quality sleep. Um, and that's all totally normal. And a lot of people choose to just go with the flow and um, and that's totally cool. For us, we really wanted to try and get him in a habit of um, being able to kind of piece together those sleep cycles a little bit better because his naps, um, if they were a bit longer in the day, um, what we found from doing this is now that he's napping longer, he's a wake times are longer and he's happier and he's more energized um and then at night he goes down and he stays down like he's he's sleeping so well at night um when he was overtired and continuously catnapping in the day we found bedtime 
we were like riddled with anxiety. It was just mm-hmm. like as soon as the sun went down at night, I was like, how many times am I going to get up tonight? How how long is it going to take till he actually like goes down for a decent amount of time? And I, when I say a decent amount of time, I mean like three hours. Um, and most nights it wouldn't be until like 11 o'clock at night. So it was this, you know, we try and make dinner in between his bath time, in between his second, third wake up. And it was just a, a bit of a shit show every night. Um, whereas now we pop him down at his bedtime and he sleeps until like you know any time between midnight and 4 a.m for one feed and then he goes back to bed until 6 a.m so it's made a huge difference um and it's it's um it's been really cool to kind of see him get really comfortable with himself like we literally Mm. watch him on the monitor and, and it's not the kind of sleep training where like you know if he's crying and he's unhappy i'm not ignoring him absolutely not like um it's he's lying in there happily like happy to be there and um putting himself to sleep and stuff it's it's really it's I don't know I feel like I'm that classic like oh, I'm so proud like no of course it's really cool to see he now has a real child bedtime because this this half thought he was an adult yeah. go to bed nine o'clock no you need to go to bed at six I wish imagine it's just so funny to think about the time that kids go to bed, like mm. six o'clock. Imagine mm. if adults went to bed at six. I mean, maybe people that wake up at like two o'clock, they have to. They do, yeah, they but have to. But if you have a job where you work nine to five, going to bed at 6 p.m. is probably not what you do. It's just <laughs> yeah. such an interesting bedtime, but I get it. Anyway, mm. anyway. Anyway, anyway Fine, good, not yeah. much happening, not, not much happening. Uh, so, do you have a special share? Because I've not got much Oh, my happening. God, you really have nothing to... <laughs> Update. I don't know. What do you want me to say? Uh, yeah, well, Another week, week of work in lockdown. Yes. <laughs> Another week of work in lockdown. Yes, I felt a bit emotional this week. I don't know. I feel mm. like I'm just getting very, I mean, as everyone. And I know to say I'm over this. Like, obviously, we've been over it for a few years. Mm. But I just um, I just think I this week I've been like, wow. I just, yeah, some weeks it hits you harder. Yeah, it's hit harder. Anyway, recommendation, special share. What have you okay. got? Okay. Well, my special share is a meditation in the KitKat. It's one of our new ones and it's called Anxiety Relief Meditation. And it is on the longer side, um, but it is a guided meditation. You know, you just sit there, listen to Meg's beautiful voice. And for me, I'm not someone who... Um, I wouldn't say, uh, you know, I have anxiety or I suffer from anxiety, but definitely I think with lockdown and, you know, I've had a few personal things going on in life outside of that, um, that have, has made me a little bit more anxious than usual and more stressed than usual. Um, and I think having this meditation to actually target those kind of thoughts and feelings and, and bring me like ground me and make me breathe and make me just stop and forget about it for a second. Or even if I am still thinking about it the entire time I'm listening to the meditation, it's like in a much calmer way. (laughs) Um, and I just, I just think, I know we, um, relaunched that kind of meditation podcast that we did, um, over a year ago now with Meg, we, we had that bonus episode the other week and what it did was spark this motivation in me to, go back into practicing meditation a little bit more regularly, especially when I'm feeling, yeah, overwhelmed or, and, and this meditation, the anxiety, anxiety relief meditation is what it's called. I loved it. It was like, it hit the nail on the head when I, when I really needed it. So I'm definitely going to keep that one in my pocket and um, definitely revisit that when I need to. I, I have to say, I second that recommendation. I love that meditation very much. Highly recommended. Would you like to know my other recommendation? Mm-hmm. It is Morning Wars season two <gasps> is back. I, my, today it's 
Oh, today. Wait, no, not today well, because on Friday. Friday. When you but, are listening yes. to this, there will be it will be back. Well, it's already yeah. back. It's back. Yeah. And it is, I think when I reflect, it is honestly up there with one of my favourite shows I've ever watched. I think yeah. the issues that it addresses it's are on, fantastic. It's yeah, so um, when I say they're sorry, the issues it addresses are not fantastic issues. They are fuck. Real issues. Sorry to swear again. I've really mm. I've said the F word twice in this it's season. Great. Sorry, but that's how you explain it—the way the way that the women are treated. But it really, really brings to life the, the way I it just the way that, it, and it's it's engaging to watch the actresses. I, I love Reese Witherspoon um, and yeah. Jennifer Aniston, and they've done such a good job of showcasing some really important issues that need mm. to be dealt with. And for anyone that doesn't hasn't watched it, it's very much about the Me Too movement and yeah. the pressures on women. Uh, it's about breakfast TV. Mm. to look and be a certain way to get to the top and what their male counterparts kind of expect of them, um, which obviously needs to change. But I'm very excited for season two. It's on Apple. I've been um, re-watching season one have to you? prepare for it. Yeah. I should have done that every time yeah. I watch and then I forget and then I don't just enjoy it as much. Just go and watch, like, maybe the last episode. Yeah, like, I will. Yeah. Thank you. I'm kind of just watching, like I watched episode one the other day and I've watched part of episode three. Like I'm kind of just skimming through parts of it to remind myself. Um, And I'll definitely watch the last episode of season one again before I get into two. But I am so excited. I agree completely. It's, It's an incredible show. Well, look at us agreeing on recommendation. Uh, caught on special shares. We are agreeing on special shares. The world is good. <laughs> no. Uh, oh, my balanced. gosh. I don't know why I said the world is good. It's not that good at the moment. You know why it's good? Because, <laughs> because of our kick parties that we've been doing. Yes. Life's good. Oh, my Life's goodness. Good. Yes. They have been so amazing. Okay, Can so you, what is it? Yeah. <laughs> I was just about to say, kick party. Okay, what is okay, a kick party? So we are up to our third kick party this week and basically what it is is what we've been doing each thursday evening at 5 30 we have been having a bit of a australian zoom party. eastern standard time yeah a bit of a zoom party with our kick community so there's more information always shared within that kick facebook community so if you are a kick subscriber as always we highly recommend joining that facebook community so that you can have access to cool little parties like this one um but basically what it is is the idea kind of sparked from we often do kick workouts with our team actually a kick um and i've even done them at time to time with with my friends and everything especially while we've all been in lockdown it's it's a way to kind of connect and work out with one another and stay motivated um and obviously we had to delay the kick tour and a big awesome positive of the kick tour is getting together with the community and feeling like you're working out with everyone and it's just it's awesome it's the most rewarding thing ever um so i think you know the closest thing we can get to that right now is is working out virtually with you guys and when we do the lives on social media while they're incredible and we enjoy them so much we don't actually get to see your faces um and i think what's been so special with the kick zooms is whilst we can't have all of you on our screens at once um the first time we did it I literally kind of welled up I got a bit teary because it was just so awesome to see so many familiar faces from our community on one screen in their lounge rooms or in their bedrooms ready to kick it together and they've just been so so fun I've thoroughly enjoyed them yeah they're awesome seriously love it the only thing about a zoom which we spoke about at the start of the last one is because we can see everyone but obviously steph and i is unmuted people can unmute themselves as they want there's no rules you know you do you <laughs> but most people well everyone has muted themselves and so you say things and you can see everyone but 
no one can you can't hear them and so you just feel like wow really did I miss the mark with that joke it wasn't even funny (laughs) anyway anyway but it's a lot of fun and you can join our kick party tomorrow the one that's Mm. tomorrow our third one it's at 5 30 as Seth said the link is in the show notes to RSVP can't wait and we're gonna have a bit of a dance at the end that was my idea I'm not sure about it but anyway uh, you can also host your own as Steph said if you want to it's a great way to catch up with friends I think especially in lockdown we're zoom fatigued like Mm. we're zoomed out and but I feel like the only thing I'm not zoom fatigued from is when you actually do something like when you do the workout with all of your friends you stream the workout so you don't have to be talking the whole time but you can all see each other and I don't know it's just nice nice to connect so absolutely that is that. And then also we have just dropped some awesome new recipes. There's a big recipe upload that <laughs> it's awesome. Wow. Well, yeah. I've really got no adjectives, but they're so delicious. And they are in the app and on the website now. Lots mm. of new kick recipes. Enjoy, enjoy. And as always, please, if you have a particular recipe that you loved, share it with us, whether it's in the community or on social media. We absolutely love seeing you guys creating the recipes we do we do and now what else do we love your dnm questions steffi take it away the official dnm reader okay yes you are so this week's <laughs> dnm <clears throat> my question is around self-trust my whole life i've been confident in what i want from life so decision making about life choices always came easy to me Over the past few years, my confidence has decreased a lot. I've really lost my sense of self and the main thing I've noticed come out of, and the main thing I've noticed come out of that is I feel that I don't trust myself or back myself when I'm making decisions. And because of that, I've started to rely on others to make important life decisions for me. Have either of you ever experienced this? And do you have any tips on how to rebut, on how to rebuild trust in yourself? This is a fantastic question. And I I have to say, this was me last year, Mm. for the most of last year. And all I think about now when I look back, because I'm now not feeling this way anymore. So just remember, your confidence is a journey. It is not Mm. something that we have all the time. We we fall in and out of high confidence levels and low. But Mm. one of my thoughts back to myself, if I could tell myself something last year when I was feeling low and I was relying on others to make decisions for me, um, which not you, Steph, obviously. You, Steph only guys made right, the right decision. We've been friends for long enough to, um, you know me very well. I can and just you, myself more, into brain. you more say to me when I'm down in confidence, like, you don't actually make the decision for me. You help me get my confidence back so I can make the decision. I think that's the best thing that a friend can do. Um, but there, if I could go back and tell myself something, it would be do not let anyone make life decisions for you or any decisions for you when you are Mm. doubting yourself because you Mm. are your most vulnerable and you do not believe in yourself you do not believe in your potential and you do not you don't believe in your power Mm. and you forget how I suppose awesome you are and what you're capable of and when you are at a point of that low self-esteem you are so vulnerable and if you let people that don't deserve to make well no one really should make any decisions in your life for Mm. you but if you let people who don't truly care about you and have your best interests at heart make decisions for you at that stage it can be really it's not dangerous because you can always undo it but it's just something that that that's something that I want to go back and tell myself Mm. my last year 2020 self well at the end of the day it's your life that they're making the decision for so it's your 
you're the one that's going to have to live it. Yeah. <laughs> so you've got to be happy with that. And I think maybe question what is happening in your life to, like, as Laura said, confidence comes and goes. It really does. It doesn't always necessarily have to be something that um, I suppose switches it off. But I've found personally, because I have always been someone who's been quite confident in myself, that when I have felt low in confidence, it has been an external um, thing <laughs> or somebody um, that has made me question myself and that where I have lacked confidence. So um, for me, when I was in those spaces, it was about surrounding myself with people who brought me up and made me, you know, believe in myself again and empower me, um, not, you know, and try not to stick around the people who, yeah, I did feel myself lacking confidence around. I feel mm. like if there's people that you're spending a lot of time with that you, you know, crawl up in a little ball and often don't say how you feel and question what you're thinking because they're thinking something different, if that's constantly happening with, happening with someone, that, that's bound to affect your confidence. Um, and I found that, you know, kind of removing myself, from, obviously that you're not going to agree with everyone and people have different opinions, but removing myself from, you know, maybe a few relationships where um, I was feeling really down in myself and doubting myself because of, you know, the differences that I had with these people. Um, ever since I've done that, I've been able to kind of pull myself back into feeling confident on those days where I'm, where I'm not not feeling the best. So mm. I think who you surround yourself with is a really, really big one. Um, you know, don't feel like it's a bad thing to go to a friend for like empowering advice or, you know, just a pat on the back or a bit of a shoe up. But like, again, as Laura said, don't let them be the ones to tell you what to do. Just hope that they're the kind of friend that do just empower you to make the decision that's going to work best for you. And, um, uplift you in that mm. decision process i agree and for me personally to rebuild that confidence mm. what helped me and it's very when you're in the moment the last thing you want to do is make a decision and put yourself out there but what you need to do and what what works for me is putting myself back out there and making decisions again and realizing that hey because you know three things might go wrong but then when mm. one thing goes right in the decision that you made you get a little bit of confidence back and then you make another one and you get a little bit of confidence back and as you said Seth it's your life mm. there are no right and wrong paths or routes to take everyone is completely different with with what they do and that's okay everyone's journey is different but just remember you are awesome you are smart you are powerful and you should believe in yourself you need to believe in yourself because mm. that self-belief and confidence it comes from within no one's going to really give it to us it ne we need to start growing it if it's not coming fake it and fake it so much that then it just becomes normal for you to be confident Mm. Um, and that, that's the most important thing. It starts from within. So just believe in how incredible you are. So now clumsy story is not this week because no, we've got some great ones, but <laughs> this is a long app already and we've got an amazing guest. So we're going to bring the clumsy story back for next season which is only two weeks away, don't worry. As you know, Steph and I are really passionate about speaking about things that we go through as women. And one of those things is fertility and well, it's more so the lack of conversation yeah. about fertility because yeah. so many people, uh, what we found a lot of friends and, you know, community members that we speak to that we avoid speaking about fertility. And then mm. when it, when, if you do want to have a child, then when you go to have one, and obviously as we've discussed so many times in this podcast, it's not 
absolutely like there's no it's not going to happen 100% the first time that you try Mm. and then there's not a lot of information out there that speaks about you know how so many people actually struggle with infertility so many people that that miscarriages one in four Mm -hmm. um and it's really it's so hard to deal with it because no one is talking about it and we want to talk about it more and so today we have got nicole liu who is the founder of kin fertility onto the podcast we She's an incredible woman. Mm. Uh, she founded Kin Fertility a few years ago in 2019, and it, and it is has done so well. It's an incredible company, and what we love about Nicole's story and what we talk about and, and Kin Fertility, the business, is that it helps people make more informed choices mm. about their fertility. And so we hope you enjoy this podcast. Nicole, welcome to the Kick Pod. How are you today? Good, thank you. I'm honestly so excited. Sydney's um like you know Sydney's like lifting a little bit of their restrictions this weekend, so very excited for that, and very excited to be on the podcast. Oh, thank you. We're so excited to uh, to speak to you today, and um, we're going to get into the podcast straight away. But I I think we're, where we want to start is I think where you know the idea of everything really kind of came from, and it was back when you got misdiagnosed with PCOS and being told that you know you may be infertile or struggle having kids and what was that like take us back to that moment because I've been through something similar myself but I'd love to hear from you interesting yeah Yeah. um so I was 24 at the time just sort of like leaving one of my corporate jobs Mm -hmm. um and I was um getting a fertility hormone test done just to like do a checkup um it was the first time I'd sort of heard about it and I did the checkup um went back to the doctor and within sort of like what felt like a three minute consult um, the doctor was like, okay, hey, you have um, this thing called polycystic ovary syndrome. I was like, cool, what's that? Um, and he was like, oh, it's this condition, it means you're going to be infertile. <laughs> uh, in those words. Uh, oh my God. And then <laughs> he was like, here's a referral to a specialist. Um, go see the specialist. Uh, okay, cool. Um, and that was it. And so I kind of walked away. I had my little referral letter with me and I was like, What? Um, and I was 24 at the time. Like, I was not thinking about children for mm-hmm. maybe, like, 10 years. Like, it was not on my mind. I had just started my career. Um, but I guess, like, feeling like I didn't have the option all of a sudden and, like, not having that choice, um, that was really scary. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said, so I kind of did what any, you know, good old millennial does. Um, I went straight into Dr. Google. Yep. Um, <laughs> and I was like, what the hell is this condition? Um, what does it actually mean? And I just got lost. Um, like... I didn't, like, I, I count myself a pretty educated person, but I felt like every website I was going on to told me something different about the mm. symptoms I was supposed to feel, um, which I didn't felt, feel like I had. Um, it was telling me things that, about, like, uh, pregnancy and um, trying to conceive that, like, felt different to what the doctor had said. Mm. Um, and every, every sort of side I went to just felt really conflicted. Um, so I ended up going to the fertility specialist, and I was like, hey, I have this condition, um, I just got referred here. I don't know what I'm doing here. Um, can you just talk to me about like what this actually means? He looked at my results and he was like, uh, you don't actually have this condition. Um, like none of your results indicate this. Um, your medical history doesn't indicate this either. Mm. Um, and also, even if you did have this condition, it didn't mean that you would be infertile. Like that was just complete misinformation. Um, and so all, <laughs> I guess like that kind of lifted a little bit, but it still was confusing that it happened at all. Mm. Um, and before all of this, I was like, I didn't want to talk to my mom about it. I didn't mm. really talk to my friends about it. Um, I had only really talked to my partner, but like, we didn't really know what to do about the information. Um, and so I started talking to my friends about it. Cause I was like, this is so weird. Um, I can't believe this happened. This is like, this has got to be like a fluke. 
Um, and the weirdest thing to hear back when you think something weird's happened to you is like, oh, yeah, that happened to my friend or, um, yeah, like me too. Like that happened to me with this other condition um, about like about our reproductive health. Um, and so I guess like that kind of accumulated into, okay, why are we not talking about this? Like how is this still allowed to be a thing when like PCOS is a condition that impacts one in 10 women? Mm. It's not rare. Mm. Um, and so it was just weird that one, it was the first time I had heard of it. Um, we hadn't really talked about it in our friendship groups. It like just never came up in like any sort of education I'd ever had. Mm. Um, yeah, so it just like was very, I guess, like all, all confronting at the same time. Mm, my goodness. I, I can't imagine. And I mean, we just, a few weeks ago, we had Bridget Huswade on the podcast and we spoke all about endometriosis. And yeah. it's another condition that it's not many people talk about. And also what was so interesting in, in speaking to her and then hearing your story as well is that often sometimes medical professionals don't actually know much about if you go to your GP they might not know much about the condition and then Mm. in your case you got misdiagnosed which is extremely scary because with fertility we don't really think about it until we all we think about is that Uh, and so for you you then went and started a business which is amazing so tell us all about kin fertility what is it and how did you come up with the concept yeah so um i guess with kin our whole mission is how can we empower women to really take control of the decisions that impact their reproductive health their bodies and their fertility um and yeah this was really largely born out of this experience with this misdiagnosis and just feeling like there was this gaping hole um of knowledge around our fertility like the, it just felt really obvious to me that there was this big black hole of um, fertility and you literally go from like, you know, thinking about not getting pregnant for most of your young adult life mm-hmm. to um, if it's something you want to do, like trying to have children and all of a sudden it's all consuming, as you said. Mm-hmm. And you walk into that journey and it's just going from zero to one in no, not a lot of time. Um, and everywhere you look, everything is everywhere. Um, there's not really like one source of truth to look into. Mm. It feels conflicting. It's overwhelming. And it's like, how do you take control of this, like this journey when mm. you don't know what's really up? Um, and like every time you move through life stages, it kind of like, it's the same thing. Like you go through pregnancy and it's a new thing. You become a new mom. It's a new thing. Um, and for a lot of p- people, that journey isn't straightforward. Um, it's not just like one step at a time. Um, and so with Kin, what we're trying to do is really solve that problem um, and think about it as a journey, you know, from the first moment that you get your period um, to contraception, to fertility, conception, pregnancy, uh, then postpartum. So really like that end-to-end journey. And what we want to do throughout that whole journey is make every single part of it as easy as possible and not overwhelming. Um, That's really, that's kind of like the big old ambition and we had to start somewhere. So we started with contraception and we launched uh, two years ago and we launched Australia's first subscription service for the contraceptive pill. So really just making accessing contraception a lot easier. Um, And within, I think, uh, a year, we got over 40,000 members subscribed to the service. Um, And from there, it really gave us the right to start thinking about where else we can support women. Um, And so more recently, we've sort of gone into fertility more. Um, So sort of like the next part was really where you're like, thinking about uh, having children, but maybe it's not so, like, not immediate. Um, And that's where we've got our fertility hormone test, which really helps you understand a little bit more about your personal ovarian reserve and your eggs. Um, And then we've got a whole suite of products now that we're um, hoping to support women on throughout the conception, pregnancy and postpartum journey. So we're really trying to become this, like, one-stop shop where, like, Mm. you have your um, information, care, 
and all the products and essentials that you need all in one place so that we can guide you throughout that whole journey each time you change um, into a different part of your life stage. I mean, that's so, it's just so brilliant and it makes mm. so much sense because then people don't have to get lost on Dr. Google and, and you know, that's sucked it. into all these different articles that have very different um, ad- advice or information. Um, so it makes sense to want to bring it all to one. And, I, and I've got to say, I really wish <laughs> it existed when I was a teenager. <laughs> um, I was on the pill, I think, for five years from the age of 15 to 20 mm. and then was diagnosed with PCOS when I was 20 mm. and was told something similar that I, you know, mm. it, I was likely to um, struggle with getting pregnant um, all around the point of you know not knowing when you were going to ovulate and all that sort of stuff because I had a very regular period but um I just wish there was a space like this I think it's brilliant and even to the point of you know your first product being the subscription service for the pill it's so smart I think there I think back to when I was taking the pill regularly and the amount of times that I got to the end of it and I was like oh bloody hell I need to go get another (laughs) (laughs) subscription to go and to go and get some more so it's it's brilliant and um yeah, hats off to you. And I think the, the way that it launched and the success that you had instantly is um, is incredible. You should be really proud. Um, now, you mentioned one of your newest things that you've launched being the fertility test. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? How does it work? Yeah. Um, so this is this actually links back to the exact test that I actually got misdiagnosed with. Mm-hmm. Um, but once I had seen the specialist and I guess like he had given me the information, it was actually really valuable. And so like this has actually been sort of like... Um, you know, like a little project of mine that I've really been hoping to get off the ground. Um, And so we launched this a couple of months ago and it's, uh, I guess, like Australia's first on-demand way to get the fertility hormone test online. Mm -hmm. Um, So essentially what the test is, it's a blood test that measures up to eight hormones, one of which is the anti-malarian hormone, so known as the AMH. Um, And what it helps you understand is things like uh, whether you might have more or less eggs for your age than average, um, whether, you know, you might need um, more or less cycles when you go into like an IVF or an egg freezing cycle, um, and just like indications of reproductive issues, one of them being PCOS and any other red flags around your fertility. Um, So it's that exact same test that you would get otherwise in a doctor's or specialist um, appointment, except most doctors will actually get you to wait a couple of um, months after you've been trying for a while um, and considered to be going through infertility. So with Kin, we've really like tried to take that test and make it, I guess, more proactive, more empowering and more accessible. Mm. Um, So how it works is you go online, you do the questionnaire and you get a referral. Um, You take this referral, you go to one of our partner labs all around Australia to get your bloods tested. um, And from there, it's all online. So we'll get your results sent back to us and you can book an online um, 30 minute uh, telehealth consult with a doctor And they will go through your results and basically answer all your questions about your fertility and explain those results properly. Um, And then I guess like based on these results, the doctors will also give you personalized um, next steps based, um, I guess, like on the results that have come back. And hopefully it gives um, most people like the peace of mind that they're looking for, as well as like a language to uh, talk about their fertility, whether Mm. it's to like the next doctors that they see, any specialists that they might be referred to, um, as well as like their partner. Mm. Oh, I just I love what you said there about kind of like taking control and empowering people because I, I think that's the, that is the thing is sometimes you know your your GP um, can kind of think they know best for your emotional state in like oh you just wait you know relax about it see how you go but as you said it's not always when people are trying that they want to know what their fertility is going to be they might not have any plans to try for five to ten years but they're still interested to see where they're at. Like, why should they wait? So I think it's just, I just have to throw that out there. I think it's awesome. Yeah, I think it just comes down to like, 
knowledge and having the option to have that mm. knowledge if you want like mm. this isn't going to be for everyone like um like if you don't want to find out that's okay like mm. this isn't like we're not trying to push it <laughs> but if you want this information like it's available and mm. it's your choice to have it as long and like it's our job to make sure that the information is correct and accurate and like delivered empathetically and compassionately mm. in a space that it can be delivered in um so it doesn't feel like a 10 minute appointment it's like this is dedicated space mm. for you to ask all your questions I absolutely love that and I love I love proactive a proactive approach to it because yeah. I think it's interesting and I know you, you touched on it before a little bit but growing up and this is something that Steph and I speak about all the time and also something that every time when we do when I do a Q&A on Instagram like to ask me a question the most popular thing that comes in is like when are you going to have kids how many kids are you going to have and I every time I it's interesting we're so lucky on this podcast we're able to interview all of these incredible women and, and some have had fertility struggles and they've been open about that which is incredible and so for us I suppose it's we understand that fertility is not a given but I understand why people ask these questions and they kind of just assume like you won't when are you going to have kids because you know the moment you want to have them you're going to be able to and I find it it's hard because I mean for me I haven't tried to have kids yet I'm not I'm going to I'm going to do your test because I, I don't know if I'm fertile or not but I feel like we need to be a bit more careful with our language in general mm. about assuming mm. that we can have kids and we are fertile and one of the biggest issues and I think well things that cause has caused that is in school we're told you know prevent pregnancy that is the most important thing yeah. you need to do everything to prevent it and it's almost like you think that if you touch skin with with the the opposite gender you're going to be impregnated because it's so scary and it's like it's you know there's you hear of these stories and I remember in school I heard of these stories of like kids that were conceived when their mum was on the pill and their dad had a condom and I'm like whoa like obviously then you're going to get pregnant but it's it's crazy because that's why I think when you when people get to the time when they're trying to conceive that it's this shock for them that actually yeah. it's not that easy for everyone and some people you know are, might be infertile. So I, I wanted to know: Did you have a, a similar experience growing up? Did you think about it? Do, do you is that what your schooling was like? <laughs> yeah, like I um, so I actually have a confession. Yes, um, <laughs> I did not know that ovulation was a thing. Um, until I started kin. Like, I did not know that you couldn't get pregnant every single day um, that you were alive and that you actually only have this, like, fertile window of, like, yep. five to seven days. Yeah, and so I only true. realised this when I started kin. <laughs> and I was, like, you know, 24, 25 years old of my life. And, like, my whole life when I, like, taking the contraceptive pill, it just made sense to me. I was, like, I'm, I'm taking it every day because I'm preventing pregnancy that I... Every day. Yeah. The, <laughs> the pregnancy that I could be pregnant every day. Um, like, it checks out. The logic just made sense to me. And I was, like, holy crap no that's not right (laughs) um so yeah definitely like I think I had a really similar experience growing up um I don't feel like the was like the concept of fertility or reproductive health was really a thing back in school it was very much like the takeaways I got from my sex ed was um like you can get pregnant very easily if a guy looks at you for too long um like just be careful um and you should use a condom if you want to avoid stis and make sure you put it on the same way you put it on the banana um and you know don't use condoms as a water balloon because you'll probably get in trouble by your teacher and that's all i remember um it's just like this wasn't really a concept and um i don't remember spending a lot of time really on reproductive health or like um Mm anything to really do with our 
like menstrual cycle or just our bodies it was very much like I literally just have like a very vivid memory of practicing putting condoms on bananas and I was in a co-ed school so that was like not taken very maturely Um, like that was just a game (laughs) absolutely and I mean we can't go back in time but if there was something that you could you know insert into the curriculum these days I think to better educate people what are three kind of main insights or pieces of information you'd want to be shared (laughs) Yeah, I have so much. Um, like, <laughs> I just want to write this curriculum. <laughs> um, okay, so I have three main things I think um, that would be amazing if the curriculum could cover. In my mind, it's very much like your body, your fertility, and your sexual sexual wellness. Um, and so for me, like by far and away, like the first thing that you need to start teaching is just like understanding your body more and like the mm. symptoms that it will go through and like what is normal versus like what is a red flag. Mm. Like, I think we should be talking about the fact that. Um, if you're going through excruciating pain every single month that leaves you crying on the bathroom floor, that's probably not just normal period Mm. pain. Um, And you shouldn't let people talk to you about that, um, talk about it like that. Like it might be a symptom of endometriosis or something different. Mm. If you're going through like unexplained weight loss or excessive hair growth, that could be driven by a hormonal condition like Mm. PCOS. Mm. If you're having painful sex, it might be a condition known as vulvodynia or um, vaginismus. Like we should hear about this more. Mm -hmm. And then we should talk about how like none of this actually means that your body is broken or that Mm. something is wrong with you. And then we should teach people to like advocate for themselves with doctors or people who aren't listening to their pain or their experiences and get them to listen or like find the help that they deserve um and I just think that's like that's just basic like Mm -hmm. understand what your body could be going through and how to deal with it if it comes up Mm -hmm. and it's just like weird to me that these aren't the conversations we're having at school but we're spending an hour you know putting condoms on bananas whereas like I think that's important but like I think that's the part we probably could have figured out ourselves as well. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's only a few ways you could have done that. Um, so that's, that's, like, the body part. Um, I think there's a whole conversation around fertility to be had. Like, for one, you should probably learn about ovulation and not end up like me and, like, how the baby process actually <laughs> works. Um, we should, like you said, Laura, like, we should not keep giving people the impression that it's so easy to get pregnant. Like, mm. one in six women um, – not women, sorry. One in six couples um, – go through infertility and struggle mm. to get pregnant in the first mm. year. Um, and age is a big part of that equation. We should talk about that. We should be more proactive and just, like, not try to be ignorant about that information. Mm. Um, we should talk about how IVF isn't necessarily a silver bullet and it's also impacted by age. Mm. Um, we should talk about how egg freezing can, is potentially an option and what that sort of looks like and how to make that decision. I think what you want is, like, people leaving school knowing that they should be thinking about their fertility proactively rather than reactively and not leaving it to, like, when something goes wrong or um, right at the point in which they need to make those decisions because just being informed earlier in life, because age is such a big factor, it just gives you more options. Um, And so we should have that conversation a lot earlier. And then lastly, um, I think there's this whole sexual wellness conversation to be had. Like, we should be talking about consent. We should be talking about our anatomy, um, how to have pleasure. We should be talking about, like, different sexualities and how they're normal. And I think if you just, like, nail these three areas, um, you'll have a whole generation of people Mm. that are just, like, way more informed about their bodies, way more uh, in a position to actually make decisions about their own bodies. Um, And that would just make me so happy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
Goodness me, that's fantastic. I mean, any school teachers listening or anyone in the government, I'm sure that you've already... <laughs> I'm sure that's in, your, I hope that's in your plan to, um, you know, to, to get that in because it's just such important information. Mm. And with all of that said, Nicole, you obviously spend a lot of time speaking to people in, in your community, your beautiful community you've created. What do you think after speaking to thousands and thousands of people is the biggest misconception when it comes to fertility? Yeah, so I actually think there's heaps here, um, and I'm going to have a bit of fun. Okay, uh, I'm allowed to. I'm <laughs> going to put you guys in the hot seat. Okay, um, okay. Am I allowed to do that? I'm going to no, do that. Of course you are. <laughs> no. Okay, so I'm going to make some statements, um, and you guys basically have to tell me if it's a myth or if it's a fact. Okay. Oh, I love it. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, myth or fact? Egg freezing is like an insurance plan. Oh. I, I know it's expensive, um, <laughs> is it I'm gonna say facts yeah same okay so I put so I've put it as myth um, okay mainly because like an insurance plan essentially assumes that it's a hundred percent foolproof plan and I think True. some people can treat it like that mm. with egg freezing it definitely increases your chances like um it's like something I'm like definitely considering um because it essentially freezes your eggs at the age that you take them out but um, to give you some stats, so it's estimated that a woman under 35 will need about 14 eggs for an 80% chance of having a live birth. Um, and you'll probably need to like change the stats if you want to have like more children than that. Mm-hmm. Um, and the older, I guess, that you choose to do that egg freezing, the more eggs you'll need to have the exact same chance. Interesting. Okay, another one. Um, myth or fact? <laughs> um, hormonal contraception doesn't, ha- doesn't have a long-term impact on your fertility. I feel like it doesn't. Oh, I don't know. I've always thought <laughs> I always thought it was a myth. Is in like wait that it does have an effect. It do- doesn't. Yeah, I don't know. I think I always thought that maybe it would. So so did I. Yeah. So um, it doesn't. So this one's a fact. Um, hormonal contraception has essentially not been proven to have long-term impacts on your fertility, but the caveat is um, in the short term when you come off, it does um, have an impact on the cycle, like the regularity of your cycle, and that typically lasts between three to six months. Um, The main exception being the contraceptive shot, which um, is a little bit of a high dose, and sometimes that's been known to be um, like take up to 18 months after you come off to have like more regular cycles. Um, There you go. Okay. Uh, one more. Um, I love just this. This, this is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> um, this one's more fun. Um, putting your legs up after sex and <laughs> orgasming can increase your chances of getting pregnant. <laughs> I'm oh going to say that's a myth, but I'm not going to lie. I did do that. I used <laughs> to think, did you, Steph? I used yeah. to think that if you had a shower afterwards, no chance of getting pregnant. <laughs> what? Why? <laughs> Why? I don't know. Why would you think that? Just get it out. No, you know <laughs> why. You know why I've thought that that was a myth was because again, I still am guilty. I definitely put my legs up when we were trying for Harvey. But the reason I feel like that is an absolute myth is because, like, they say that you can um, get pregnant off, like, hardly. I, I, I feel like weird saying this, but <laughs> wait, can I say this? Is this what, true? What are you trying to say? <laughs> can I use the term pre-cum? Yeah. <laughs> Why not? Yeah, I don't know. It's your like, podcast. Yeah. I feel dirty. I just like... Yeah, anyway, I don't know. Is there any more professional way of saying that? <laughs> mm, no, I think it's... Anyway, I think it's just, I've yeah. heard that you can get pregnant from that, so you surely don't have to have your legs up <laughs> to get pregnant. 
Yeah, so you're right. It's a myth. So it's like you see it in every movie though. Yes. <laughs> Um, but so when it comes to putting your legs up after sex, Sperm is re- like, it's a really good swimmer. Um, and so typically it will take like two to 10 minutes to get into um, where it needs to go. Wow. Um, and when you put your legs up, your pelvis doesn't actually change. Like it doesn't move. So it doesn't make a big difference. But if it's comfortable and like it makes you feel better, do it. Um, and same with <laughs> orgasming. So like the theory behind orgasming is the like, I guess the vibrations um, help the sperm move closer or faster or whatever it is um so that's also a myth although i personally think it it would be really hard to do scientific evidence on this um so no studies have shown that it works but also um i guess it's fun so go go get it but don't stress (laughs) if you don't oh my goodness what about question how long does sperm live or can they yes is it seven days seven days correct okay so one could take seven days to swim is that right or so um, how it works is sperm lives in can like wait around I guess in the cervical area for seven days. So um, exactly. So the egg actually typically um, I think it's like one to two days. Like it comes out and then it stays and that's how long it waits. Um, but the reason the fertile window is about like five to seven days is because there's sort of like a before and after period where the sperm can wait or meet the egg later. Okay. Yeah, and I think, sound like I, think <laughs> I think all of that, like I did health and like I know we definitely touched on reproductive health and everything like that. But when I got pregnant, I decided to learn a lot more about all of that. And the whole and this is like touching back onto what we've already spoken about, how, you know, getting pregnant is not as easy as I think we thought it was when we were teenagers. Mm-hmm. Um, it is fully a miracle for like that yeah. egg to actually have the sperm in the same space at the same time and then for that to actually work and for it all to, to everything go as planned and for there to be absolutely nothing wrong with the cell is like it's a full like magical miracle and I feel like yeah that people don't know that and so I think when you know things like infertility or even um, early miscarriages and stuff happen it's so shocking to us because we were never educated to how it actually Mm. works exactly yeah Um, and there's like there's just so many things that have to go right I think we want to touch back on that fertility test. You know, mm. people take this fertility test online. I know you said afterwards, um, once you guys receive the results, that's when a phone consult. But but what are some of the next steps, I suppose, um, from there? Yeah. Yeah. So um, the next steps ultimately depend on, I guess, the results. Um, so for most people, um, most things will be fine. And it's really just peace of mind and like walking away with that knowledge and how to have that conversation. Um, and just like using that, I guess, to make decisions around their family planning. Um, for some people who will get results, um, for example, if they have lower ovarian reserve, um, what that means is you have, I guess, less eggs than the average for your age and your reproductive timeline is in effect a bit shorter. Um, and so depending on where you are in your fertility journey, I guess the doctor will counsel you in terms of what those next steps could be. So um, I guess whether you are um, very early and like quite a few, a few years away from having children, you might consider things like either changing your family plan or um, considering things like egg freezing. Um, if you are like quite close um, and you're you know, starting to try soon, um, you might consider seeing a specialist earlier on or moving forward your family plans there as well. So um, it really depends on the person. 
And then um, I guess if you find out other sort of like red flags around your fertility, whether it's um, indications of PCOS, if your mm-hmm. thyroids um, might be out of balance or um, if something might be impacting your ovulation, um, the doctor will give you next steps in terms of any lifestyle changes that might help, uh, referrals to specialists um, to really like dig into it a little bit more and really understand um, how it impacts them and like sort of where they are in their journey. Um, but ideally like so uh, with PCOS and thyroids, for example, there are so many things you can do to proactively manage that so that when you are ready to have children, you're in a better position to do so and you like can um, manage the condition a lot better with the doctor. Mm. Interesting. And, and I think the other thing that, I mean, you, you touched on there, your reproductive timeline. And I mean, the hardest thing with pregnancy is, and, and with no matter what, no matter, you know, what changes culturally around stereotypes between males and females and when females should have babies and, you know, if they want to have them later or whatever it might be, our biological clock is not going to change. It's, it is what it is. It's, it's science. It's, mm. you know, we can only get pregnant in a, at a, in a certain kind of age period in our lives. And I think what's really hard is the celebrities and maybe higher profile people that are getting pregnant a lot older but they're having, especially in America, there's obviously a, a surrogacy, I think, is a lot easier there and, and there's yeah. maybe less rules and and things. And so it's kind of giving this, maybe it is a little bit of a misconception that, you know, if you're 50, you can still have a child. And that's awesome that that's a possibility. But I think it's really important to be open about the fact mm. that that is a possibility if you have a lot of money mm. and you have a lot of resources. And obviously that's not an option for people and that's one thing that I struggle with so much um, when thinking about fertility you know IVF is so expensive if you want to raise your eggs it's so expensive and there's so many barriers in place for people um, that it does kind of lean to the point that if you're more financially stable you're you and you are infertile it's you have more of a chance of having children which is really it's so sad that that it is like that are you able to speak uh to our biological clock for females when when are we kind of at our prime or you know prime i mean scientifically um and how it kind of changes and then if you know we do want to do egg freezing when when do people think about that yeah it's a uh definitely a really good question i think like um just as you mentioned laura like we, I feel like women, like our roles are changing so much and like we have um, so many opportunities, whether it's like Korea to travel more and like that's really great. And like if you actually look at the stats, um, we're actually uh, leaning towards having children later and later. I think in Australia, the average age is now just over 30. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so I think like in terms of the stats, uh, when it comes to our biological clock, age is like by far and away like one of the biggest factors. Um, so I think women under uh, 30 typically have a 20% chance of getting pregnant every month. Um, and that starts dropping from there. So um, when you get to about 35, that chance is 15%. And when you get to about 40, that chance is 5%. Um, and the other thing to sort of consider, it's not just about the quantity of your eggs because you technically only need one good mm. egg. Um, but it is about the quality as well. And like the frustrating thing um, about sort of like our reproductive health is... We have a set number of eggs um, and they basically decline in quantity and quality and it is like really hard if not um, impossible to reverse Um, and so it's like that curve is very very different for everyone but in general it just goes down with age 
Um, and so what I guess like egg freezing um, helps with is essentially the process. It's the process to extract some of those eggs and freeze it at the age that you choose to freeze them at. So um, the exa- I guess like uh, to take an example, if you're um, planning to have kids when you're uh, 35 um, and you've frozen your eggs at 30, uh, you're essentially using your eggs as if they're the quality of a 30-year-old um, when you were 30, 30 mm. years old. Um, and because you only need that sort of like one good quality egg to fall pregnant, essentially what egg freezing has done is ensured that you have eggs um, to use at the age at which you want to get pregnant and that it's the quality, like a better quality than you would have otherwise. Um, and so really it gives you like an increased uh, chance um, as well as just the option to use like um, better quality and give you like a better chance um, whether it's for your first child or your second, um, if that's what you want to do. Um, yeah, so I think like from that standpoint, the, where you, I guess like where you think about um, when you want to do egg freezing also depends on the sort of like, um, one, it depends on your ovarian reserve, which is like, I guess what the fertility test will help with as well. Um, and also where you want to um, freeze the quality of your eggs at. And so typically the recommendation is if you're planning to delay your pregnancy into like the later 30s, um, it's something worthwhile considering either in your late 20s or your early 30s. Um, I personally think it's definitely something that should be part of like normal conversation, especially towards your sort of like mid 20s to late Mm. 20s. Um, Like we make so many plans, whether it's, uh, you know, our career or even just travel. Mm. Um, Like we make financial plans. I think when it comes to family planning, we are we typically like push that until we're like super, super ready to have that conversation. And I think like knowing that um, age is a factor and being informed about it and not trying to be ignorant about that Mm. means that we can actually make these informed decisions ahead and hopefully open up a few more options for us um, earlier on. Mm. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, One thing I've obviously noticed with that. Oh, I've just <laughs> got to say, I did have a bit of a shiver when you said travel because I was like, what even is that? Um, <laughs> like, almost, can't, almost optimistically. <laughs> can't wait, can't wait to be able to plan for travel again. Um, no, but, you know, speaking of that and COVID, we've, you know, there's a lot of talk around the baby boom. I mean, ever since I've been pregnant and had Harvey, so many people were like, oh, you had a COVID baby. And I'm like, Cool, cool in that. That's fine. Um, but what impacts do you think, um, on a more serious note, what impacts do you think the pandemic has had on people who are maybe delaying, you know, their family planning, they're, they're delaying that reproduction? Uh, I definitely think there's been a puppy boom. Like everyone and, <laughs> everyone I know has gotten a puppy or a, like some sort of pet. Um, no, but back, sorry, back to being um, serious. Um, <laughs> Um, no, I know there's been a lot of talk about, um, you know, having like there being a baby boom in COVID. Um, we actually did a serve like a national Australian survey uh, earlier this year. So January, like around January to March. Mm-hmm. Um, and essentially what we found was that 16% of people had delayed their family plants. Um, so uh, because of COVID. Um, and the main reasons they sort of stated were more around like financial instability. Like a lot of people at that time um, mm-hmm. were losing their jobs and just like, Um, even if they didn't like the instability in the environment um, caused Mm. them to sort of like pause. Um, But interesting enough, like 4% of people did choose to bring forward their plans. Um, And for a lot of these people, it was more like they, like the travel plans have been pushed away. And so like those people who are sort of like, you know, I'll do one more year of travel or so, and then like I'll settle down. um, That didn't look like a possibility. And Mm. so you just like fast track your plans there. 
Um, and a lot of people all of a sudden had more work flexibility than they thought they would um, and maybe had more like family support um, and so pulled forward those plans. Um, so, yeah, I don't know whether, I guess, like between we us doing the survey um, and I guess the Delta variant um, and like a more prolonged lockdown for both Melbourne and Sydney and a lot of um, other areas in Australia, like there's a real chance that a lot of people who, I guess, held back their plans earlier on and now thinking of trying and sort of like going through mm-hmm. that. Um, yeah, so I guess like only time will tell whether it's a truly yeah. a boom. But I mean, the last few years... COVID's probably had the most, like, it's a single thing that's going to have the most significant impact on our lives in the last few years and probably, like, the next few months only, hopefully. Um, (laughs) And so, like, if anything's going to cause a baby boom, it's probably this. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, I guess we'll we'll have to wait and see what happens. I think statistically from 2019 to 2020, it was actually a decrease in people having kids. But I think because... Maybe we're spending more time on social media and we saw more of the posts and because it became yeah. a thing of like everyone mm. was saying, oh, it's a baby boom, we then got that <laughs> in our head. And I, I read last you week actually in the Australian statistics that it was it was actually a little bit of a decrease, which is mm. I thought was really interesting because I thought that it, there'd been a boom. But when you, you think about the, you know, the finance, and I understand why people would bring it forward, but then if you think about the financial instability yeah. and the instability in general yeah. and how stressed, I'm, I'm sure also uh, getting pregnant, obviously you need to, be lower in stress levels to mm-hmm. I think that's a factor isn't it you're, it's yeah, harder to get yeah. pregnant if you're stressed it might have delayed people actually being able to get pregnant because there's just all this unknown yeah, yeah. and I think there's also something in like um, we do see a lot of like people naturally announce pregnancies and like show babies um, but you don't often see people in their trying phase and people yeah. aren't usually like all over social media being like I'm trying this month and this is what's happening um, it's just like yeah, it's, it's, we just don't talk about it. Hmm. And I think it's such an... I mean, I obviously understand why people don't talk about it because it's very... I mean, I, I, have, mm. I haven't been there. I, I, I don't know what it would feel like, but from the people that I've spoken to, it's really hard. And one of the things that makes it even harder is the fact that they didn't know that this was mm. going to be a problem mm. for them because they thought it would be a sure thing. So I think, Nicole, the work <laughs> that you're doing is so admirable. It's fantastic. Um, as, as Steph said, the, the, even the, the pill in the first place, the pill subscription is just something that you think, how did this not exist? And yeah. the fertility test is le- enabling people, as you said, to have more information so they can make more informed decisions. It's, it's incredible. So thank you so much for coming onto the podcast and for what you do. It's, it's awesome. No, I really appreciate that. And thank you so much for having me on board. Well, we hope you guys enjoyed that chat with Nicole. We'll pop all of the information around Kin in our show notes. Now, we are not going to be back next Wednesday. This is the last podcast of this season, so we were having a little bit of a break and we'll be back in a couple of weeks. But if you miss us and you want to find us elsewhere, you can always find us on Instagram at keepercleaner, at laura.henshaw, at Smith. And if you would like to learn more about Keeper Cleaner, and see what we're all about and possibly even join us, you can head to our website, www.keepercleaner.com. We will see you after the break, guys. And if you don't miss us, it's okay. (laughs) Bye. (laughs)